Look at your outline and you'll see number three under capital A there, the curing of the Bethesda paralytic. You'll find that in John chapter 5. John chapter 5, verses 1 through 9. This is a very pointed outline that just gives the bare necessities. But we have taught these first two miracles that you see. Turning water into wine, if you glance at it, number one, and healing of the nobleman's son, that's number two. We'll bring you up to date on all of this in just a moment. For some of the details for review of those who have not been here, if you notice that introduction, it says, it says John's Gospel tells us how we can be saved. Tells us how to be saved. John's epistle, especially 1 John, tells us how we know we are saved. In fact, 1 John chapter 5, verse 13 says, These things have I written unto you, written, that you may know that you have eternal life. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. So John's Gospel tells us how to be saved, and the Epistle tells us how we know we're saved. We have more of the words of Jesus in John, just follow your introduction on down, and less of the works. Matthew has how many miracles? 20. And Mark 18, and Luke 20. And John has eight miracles. And only eight miracles. And seven of these miracles are before the cross. And of these seven miracles, John's purpose is revealed in the 20th chapter. Look at chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. John 20, verse 30 and 31. It says, And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of His disciples. Signs are wonders or miracles. That's John 20, verse 30. Uh, which are not written in this book. John says, I did not choose to write all of the miracles like Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and a great number of miracles. And under the leadership and guidance of the Holy Spirit, he says, but these are written, look at verse 31, but these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through His name. So John reveals his purpose in choosing out these that he, these. Miracles are carefully chosen to follow that purpose of John. To tell us how to be saved. Now then, when we studied, if you drop down to capital A under your outline there, when we studied these first three miracles, we've already covered two of them. The first one of turning the water into wine taught us that salvation is through the Word. The water symbolizes the Word of God. And uh, remember, there were earthen vessels. There were... Uh, vessels of stone, typical and symbolical of the human heart. And when they were empty, these were empty vessels, and Jesus commanded that they be filled with water, pour in the water into these vessels, and He mysteriously and miraculously turned it into wine. Wine is symbolical of the joy of salvation. And so there was a mysterious working, and the servants were bidden to pour the water into those vessels. And this, the Word of God poured into the empty, broken human heart is needed in order to give that Word to them that they can be saved. So that's your business and mine as servants is to keep pouring in the Word. And salvation was taught, if you have your little outline, look at it, salvation through the Word. We, we taught that at length already. And then the healing of the nobleman's son, you find that in the fourth chapter. Look at number two under your outline there under the uh, capital A. Uh, and it teaches us salvation through faith. Now remember the nobleman 
came to Jesus and he said, come down and heal my son. He's at the point of death. And if you don't come down, he's going to die. You have the passage of Scripture where it's found. And he says, you must come down. He wanted to see a sign or a wonder or a miracle. And Jesus said to this nobleman, except you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. And then he pleaded again, says, come down ere my son die. And you know what Jesus said to him? He says, go thy way, thy son liveth. And it says the man believed what? The word. He believed what Jesus had spoken. So that's salvation by faith in the word of God. And he went his way and his son was living. And we showed you the, the practical faith of this man as we dealt with the, where he was, uh, how much distance he had to travel, which was about 17 miles. And yet he uh, waited till the next day to go back home. And his servants met him and they found out uh, that it was at the same hour. He began to inquire what time his son was made well. And they found out it was at the exact same hour that Jesus spoke to him, Go thy way, thy son liveth. And he himself believed. He believed that. And, he, and the son was healed. And uh, then his whole house believed because of his faith. So that was salvation through faith. Now we're coming to the third miracle that shows us how to be saved. And this is the curing of the Bethesda paralytic, if you'll notice that. And it's John chapter 5, verse 1. This is the one we'll be dealing with tonight. We're just trying to teach you a lesson. And this will show us salvation by grace. And we'll begin to get into it. Every word here, or almost every thought coming out in this uh, particular miracle, is written all over with the grace of God. Notice, first of all, it says, and we'll take it verse by verse and then expound it kind of as we go along. And this is not to be a sermon unless I get to preaching a sermon. It would probably be a lesson. But anyway, it says this in verse 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews. You have your place now. Uh, John 5, verse 1. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. You know, this particular verse is full of things that pertain to grace and mercy. First of all, the sheep market or sheep gate, if you have a marginal reference, is by the sheep gate. We know that God's mercy and grace is extended to us through Christ's sacrifice. And the sheep gate indicates the place of where the lambs were taken in, the animals for sacrifice. In fact, in the Old Testament, we referred to it this morning that Nehemiah spoke of sheep gate as the first gate on the list of the gates around the city when he was rebuilding the city. So this sheep gate, symbolical of the speaking of the place where the sacrificial animals were led in and out. And there was a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue, Bethesda. That, mean, that word means uh, house of mercy, Bethesda. And it says, having five porches. Five is symbolical in the Bible. of The number five is symbolical of grace. Always through, you'll find it symbolical of grace. So the mercy and the grace of God come to us through the sacrifice of Christ. And verse 3 says, In these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. I want to read on down and then we'll come back. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then was first after the troubling of the water, uh, then first after the troubling of the water, stepped in, was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. And a certain man was there, 
which had an infirmity 38 years. 38 years he'd had this infirmity. When Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had been now a long time in that case, he saith unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? By the way, before we read any further, I want you to notice that that all of these in verse 3 were waiting for the moving of the water. But Jesus singled out this one man. And He says, Wilt thou be made whole? Now, the others may have been waiting for their cure other than from the Lord. But this man was spoken to and called out individually. He was a certain man that Jesus looked upon in grace. And He said, Wilt thou be made whole? And the impotent man answered Him, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool. But while I am coming, another step in down before me. Jesus saith unto him, Rise! Take up thy bed and walk. And immediately the man was made whole and took up his bed and walked. And on the same day was the Sabbath. I want to read on down through verse uh, 14 at least. And immediately the uh, a man was made whole. That was verse 9. Now 10. The Jews therefore said unto him that was cured, It is the Sabbath day. It is not lawful for thee to carry thy bed. He answered them, He that made me whole, the same said unto me, Take up thy bed and walk. Then asked they him, What man is is that which said unto thee, Take up thy bed and walk. And he, he that was healed wist not who it was, for Jesus had conveyed Himself away, a multitude being in that place. He had conveyed Himself away from the multitude. Afterward, Jesus findeth him in the temple and said unto him, Behold, thou art made whole. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come unto thee. Evidently, his uh, affliction had come about because of some personal sin. You know, a person can go through this life uh, and do things that will cause you to be crippled or have a particular infirmity the rest of your days. For instance, if a young man goes out here and he's drinking, gets on alcohol or drugs, and he's driving his automobile, and he has an automobile accident, and he breaks his leg or injures himself, maybe paralyzed in his back permanently, God will forgive him of his sin, but he'll still carry those marks with him. So, don't ever think that that we don't have to pay for them. There has to be a payday for what we do. So anyway, Jesus told this man, go and sin no more. Now I want us to notice several things about this paralytic. His condition shows that man is not merely wounded by sin, but blind and dead spiritually. He's impotent. That means he's hopeless from the standpoint of self and others. Remember he said, In verse 7, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool. So he could not help himself and no one else could help him. He was beyond help except the Lord helped him. Even though there may have been a provision for them to get in the water and be healed. And we're not discussing that at all because there were some that were waiting only for that kind of a cure. Just like we find in that miracle of the healing of the nobleman's son, When Jesus said, except you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Many people are waiting for signs and wonders before they'll believe God's Word. And in this case, many were waiting for the healing, for the waters to be troubled for their healing. But this one particular man was singled out. And so he was hopeless from the standpoint of self and of others. And how was he healed? He was healed by faith in the Word of the Lord. When you think of impotent folk, the blind and the halt and the withered, All of this is a picture of fallen humanity as a whole. We're all not only helpless, impotent, but we're blind and we're halt and we're withered. And there are no exceptions. 
Every human being is in that condition by nature. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So we're all in that condition. The Bible says there is none righteous, no, not one. And because of his hopeless condition, this is where grace comes in. Let's look at the hopeless condition first, and then we'll see where the grace of God comes in. He was blind. He was impotent. First of all, that means that he was helpless. And then he was blind. The world is blind in their understanding. Ephesians 2. Let me read two passages in Ephesians 2 and Ephesians 4. Men are blind in their understanding and in their hearts. Ephesians 2, 11 and 12 says this. Look at it. Wherefore, remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by that which is called circumcision in the flesh made by hands. Look at verse 12. That at that time, listen, ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Now, chapter 4. Chapter 4. Verse 17 and 18. This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth (coughs) walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, blind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the what? Blindness of their heart. So here are people with their understanding darkened, And they're alienated from God through ignorance and their hearts are blinded. And then we have, if you hold your place in John chapter 5, they were not only blind, but they were uh, halt and they were withered. What are the halt? The halt, Ephesians 2 verse 2. You say, well, these people walked, but they walked not for God. Ephesians 2 verse 2 says, and where in time past you walked according to the course of this world according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. rather, And that passage we gave you a little bit ago in 4 verse 17. Therefore I say, uh, this I say therefore and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk. So their walk was not right with God. We can't even walk with God. And then we're withered. We cannot work for God in our natural condition. In their hand, usually we think of the withered hand. Jesus speaks of the man with a withered hand. In their hand so that they were unable to work. Now then, this man was like all the others. If there was a multitude here, of course, it tells you that he could not walk. Certain man, he had an infirmity 38 years. And Jesus had, when Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had been a long time in that case, he knew he was helpless. Then he spake to him. And what did he, what happened? You know, God spoke to Adam. Adam did not come speaking, seeking God or, or speaking to God. Adam was hiding from God. Remember, after he had sinned, he hid himself amongst the trees of the garden. Adam and Eve clothed themselves with fig leaves. And the Bible says that he heard the voice of the Lord God calling in the cool of the day. God was seeking Adam. Adam did not seek God. When we talk about man seeking God, God seeks man. Jesus said, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. And so he looks out, he looks for us. And then God chose Abraham. God chose Abraham out of uh, the Ur of the Chaldees, or called him out of the Ur of the Chaldees. Tells us in the book of Genesis chapter 12, verse 
1. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. So, his choice and his uh, seeking, a man that was live, living and steeped in idolatry, was what God was doing. He was called by the grace of God out of Ur of the Chaldees, out of idolatry. It was a call that demanded absolute confidence and obedience to the Word of God. And Abraham obeyed. He didn't know where he was going. He didn't know what God was doing. He just says, God told me to get out of here and I'm leaving. Of course, he's made a mistake taking all of his family with him to start with. Finally, God had to separate that situation. And after the death of his father, he was permitted to go on. The only thing, Lot tagged along and caused him a lot more trouble, didn't he? And he had to take care of him all along the way. But be that as it may, Abraham was called out of idolatry. And there was no worthiness in Abraham. You know, we say by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is a gift of God. There's no worthiness in Abraham actual or foreseen for the reason for which he was called out of Ur of the Chaldees. This shows us also the starting, starting point of the life of faith. And the first requirement when God calls you uh, to himself out of the world, he calls you out of the world to separate from it. He doesn't leave you in the world. Jesus said, These are those that Thou, Father, gavest Me out of the world. He says, Thine they were. You gave them to Me. And He says, They're not of the world, even as I am not of the world. John chapter 17 in His great high priestly prayer. And God also called in pure sovereign grace the nation of Israel out of their, out of the many nations And in Deuteronomy, I'd like to read a passage of Scripture in chapter 7, beginning with verse 6. Deuteronomy 7, verse 6. This is a good passage for you to mark down. It's 6 through 9 or a whole passage, but I'll use these pointed verses for the lesson. It says, For thou art a holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee. What? The Lord thy God hath chosen thee, the nation, the people of Israel. God, in His... Sovereign grace choice chose the nation of Israel to be a special people unto himself above all the people that are upon the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love upon you nor choose you because you were more in number than any people. Well, look at all the nations round about. God could have chosen this nation, that or the other. He could have chosen the Egyptians. He could have chosen the people over in the land of Canaan. He could have chosen all the Ites and all the different ones that were then in existence. There were multitudes of nations. But God set His heart upon the nation of Israel. No wonder Jesus said to the woman of Samaria when He was discussing with her, and He said, you know, if you give me a drink of water, you don't... If you had talked to me, I would have given you living water. And then later on, when the discussion continued, he told her, he says, salvation is of, listen carefully, salvation is of the Jews. Why is it of the Jews? Jesus said that to the woman of Samaria. Because God had chosen that nation to be ultimately the one from whence Jesus would come. And so salvation would be of the Jews according to God's choice. So, let's read this passage again in Deuteronomy 7. And this has a great deal of bearing upon the the context of what we're studying about this miracle of grace for this one man that was at the pool, whereas Jesus chose this one man to deliver him 
in the midst of all the multitude of impotent folk. We do not know why, but we know He did. We don't understand why He didn't heal the whole mess of them. But maybe it was because the, whole, the rest of them were waiting for the moving of the water and they wanted some other way to be healed. But this one man was willing to be called and willing and recipient and the calling was effectual and he accepted it and he did what Jesus told him to do and evidently he believed it so he obeyed him and he was healed and he could rise up and walk. But let's read this passage, Deuteronomy 7. Verse 7, The Lord did not set His love love upon you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any people, for you were the fewest of all people. Popularity didn't mean anything to God, did it? The multitude didn't especially mean anything to Jesus there. It was His grace that was being known. This this particular uh, miracle that John picked out to show us not only that salvation is by the Word of God and it's by faith in the Word of God, but it's by grace through faith in the Word of God. And they, this particular miracle that we're studying fits that exact purpose. He wants to show us that we do not deserve to be saved. That it is completely of grace. Notice, the Lord did not set His love upon you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any people, for you were the fewest of all people. But because the Lord loved you, the Lord set His love upon you. Look at your own personal salvation. Think of it for a moment. Were you saved just because you were uh, better than someone else? Or because God sent His Word, and because God, by His Holy Spirit, moved upon your heart, and He saved you, By grace, Paul says, are you saved through faith. And that, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. How are you saved? Grace is that unmerited favor, undeserving favor of God. Did you deserve to be saved? I didn't. Did you even deserve to be called? No. But God called you. He not only called you, but He saved you. And He saved you by grace. Because He loved you. And He set His heart upon you like He did the nation of Israel. But because the Lord loved you and because... uh, But because the Lord loved you, this is Deuteronomy 7, verse 8. And because He would keep the oath which He had sworn unto your fathers, He had made a covenant with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And He's going to keep the oath which He had sworn unto your fathers. Hath the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand, and redeemed you out of the house of bondmen from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord thy God, He is God, the faithful God, which keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love Him and keep His commandments to a thousand generations. Now back in John chapter 5. Let's notice what happened. There was power in the Word of Jesus. His grace had singled out this individual person to heal him. We're not told here that any of the rest of this multitude of impotent folk were healed. And a lot of people's argument is why didn't He heal them all? Because John is choosing a, a uh, miracle to illustrate salvation totally and completely by grace. That's the reason He chose this miracle. And He shows us that it is by grace. If you notice your chart, turning water into wine is salvation through the Word. Healing of the nobleman's son is salvation through faith. And curing of the Bethesda paralytic is salvation by grace. Now then, what happened? The impotent man, verse 7, answered him, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool, but while I am coming, another steppeth down before me. Look at that. Jesus said unto him, Now look, 
Jesus said unto him, Rise, take up thy bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made whole, and took up his bed and walked, and on the same day was the Sabbath day. Jesus said, Rise. I want you to notice three things. Rise, take up thy bed, and walk. These three things. He said, Rise. First, there must be absolute confidence in His Word. Now, here's a man that was, he was an impotent man. He was a helpless man. He couldn't even move. But when Jesus said, rise, he believed that he could at the Word of Jesus. <clears throat> when Jesus gives the Word, all you and I have to do is act upon it. And this man did act upon it. He had not only confidence, absolute confidence in Christ's Word, but he had a hearty recognition of Christ's authority, and he gave an immediate response to his orders. And you and I are to do exactly the same thing. When the Bible says, you know, even the simple words that Paul told the Philippian jailer, he says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Very simple, isn't it? But in order to be saved, you have to immediately believe the preaching of the Word. You immediately believe the Gospel. And without that faith, you cannot be saved. But with that faith, you can be saved. So notice here, it says, uh, Jesus said to him, rise. So he responded, not even knowing he was able to respond, but believing in the word of the Lord. And he says, take up thy bed. This was a cotton pad, easy to roll up. But he told him to take up his bed. Now, this man was well informed and knew that it was not lawful for him to carry his bed on the Sabbath day. The very next verse, in verse 10, says, The Jews therefore said unto him that was cured, It is the Sabbath day, it is not lawful for thee to carry thy bed. He says, That doesn't make any difference. The man that told, made me whole, he said, to Take it up and walk anyway. Carry it. So it, the grace of God overcomes all obstacles that the law might uh, put into your way. The Bible says we're saved by grace through faith and not by works of the law, lest any man should boast. So we, we find here that uh, when the man took up his bed, even though it was a cotton pad and easy to roll up, there was no thought of failure. There was absolute confidence that because Jesus had told him to do this, and he had the strength to do it, that he would be able to do it. There was no provision for relapse. When the Lord gives us a command, there's no reason for us not to obey it. He had faith in the person of Christ and in the Word of Christ and submission to the authority of Christ. Doesn't that same thing happen to you and I when we accept Christ as our Savior? Someone says, how do I know that this will work? You question. You question the power of God. You question a lot of things about God. But what does the Bible really teach? It teaches that when He speaks and when we obey, then the actual promise will come to pass. Have you ever heard folks say, well, how do you know you're saved? How do you know? How do you know? People say, well, when I was born again, when I accepted Christ as my Savior, then I, I felt good. Well, that's good. But how do you know you're saved? Some people feel good that they're not saved. Some people that are saved don't feel so good either. Do you know that? They still have a lot of problems. So are you trusting in feeling? Are you trusting in the Word of God? We used to have a, a Dr. Harvey Springer. He's out of Inglewood, Colorado. When I was... Uh, in the seminary in Arlington. He'd come speak to us one, once in a while. He's passed on now. For many years he's been gone to be with the Lord. But anyway, he used to say, 
He'd get you on the spot and he'd say, how do you know you're saved? The person would say, well, I was there when it happened. Well, that's fun and dandy. And I can remember my experience. Well, that's good that you had a good experience. But there's a lot of folks that may not be able to remember the day or the hour. There's a lot of folks that maybe not even the experience may have grown cold by now and they wonder, well, did that really happen? Was that what happened to me? But how do you really know you're saved? Because you believe what God's Word has said and He's promised that if you believe and trust in Him, that you are saved. That's how you know you're saved, because of the Word of God. 1 John 5, verse 13. Let me read that verse for you. 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. We said that the epistle of John, uh, 1 John especially, tells us how that we know that we're saved. Now, if you look at 1 John 5, verse 13, it says, These things have I written unto you. So what John has written here. <coughs> These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God. Now, why did John write this epistle? That you may know that you have eternal life. Well, John, I thought I knew because of my experience. John, I thought I knew because, you know, all these other things that we've been mentioning and a lot of things we did not mention. Say, John, I thought I knew because of this. I've had people say, well, they had a wonderful experience. And later on, they say, well, I'm not sure that that experience was real. And it's good to have had a remembrance of that. Don't misunderstand me. It's good to be able to remember. But how do you know? How do you know? We're talking about knowing now. We're talking about knowing. You know it because of God's Word and because of what God says. That's how you know it. And that's not presumptuous to, to believe what is said here. These things have I written... Look at this, verse 13. These things have I written unto you. The whole of the first epistle of John, and this is in the fifth chapter, by the way, and all of this adds up to these things, have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God. You says, yes, I'm a true believer, and I believe on the name of the Son of God. He says, I've written them that you may know that you have eternal life. So if you study, if you're in doubt about or want the assurance of salvation, you read and study 1 John. And when you get through, I'll guarantee you, if you study it carefully, He will give you reason to know, if you're a believer, that you have eternal life. And you'll have all the evidence you need right here. By the way, there's much evidence in this chapter that we have not talked about. 1 John chapter 5. You might begin reading about verse 9 and so on and so forth but even the whole book of 1 John. But it will show us that uh, you can know, and you do know by the, the epistle of 1 John. But back to the John's purpose in John chapter 5, we're studying about this Bethesda paralytic, and we know that he was saved by grace through faith in the Word of God. And we know furthermore that John chose this particular miracle, he could have chose some of the miracles that Matthew records. 20 in Matthew, 18 in Mark, and 20 in Luke. But he chose these seven before the cross to fit his purpose and by the direction of the Holy Spirit. I don't mean that John just thought them up and says, I'll choose these. He was moving as all the apostles and all of the writers of the Bible under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to write and to do and to give us the information that we have. All of them were divinely moved to give us the Gospels and the Epistles, as the Apostle Paul. Peter tells us that the writings of the Apostle Paul are compared to the other Scriptures, putting them on the same level as all of the Old Testament. 
And he said some rest those scriptures to their own destruction or twist them. Peter tells us that in his epistles. And uh, so we find here that what we're talking about is that this purpose of choosing this particular miracle fits in perfectly with what John said in chapter 20, verse 30 and 31, and many other signs. Now, that's miracles or wonders. Signs or miracles. Many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of His disciples, which are not written in this book. And by the way, if you don't uh, memorize this, these two verses, you'll probably have them memorized anyway the time I get through with them. Because I'll keep repeating them to you. And repetition is the art of learning. So it says in verse 31, But these are written. John says these are written that ye might what? Believe that Jesus is the Christ. That means the anointed of God, sent from God, from heaven. The promised one, the Messiah. And uh, believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that believing ye might have life through His name. What kind of life? Eternal life. How? By faith. And so, this particular miracle shows us salvation by grace. The cure was both instantaneous and complete. By the way, when Jesus heals, He does a complete job of it. Remember even the man that, he, that was blind and He put clay on his eyes and uh, there, He could see men as trees walking and then Jesus says, that won't do. He says, He's got to see better than that. So then He began to see fully and every man clearly. And there's instances where Jesus does a partial cure, but He's not satisfied until it's a complete cure. Remember the lepers that were healed? And they were lepers when they came to Jesus. By the way, they were lepers when they left Jesus because He says, Go thy way. He told them to go and show themselves to the priests. And the Bible says, As they were going, they were cleansed. As they were going. See, you have to begin to obey what the Lord says and then it'll happen. And it'll happen completely. And there's one that was a Samaritan. You remember the story? that came back and there were ten lepers in this case. Some numbers in others. But there were ten and this one came back and he gave thanks to the Lord. The Samaritan, one of whom you could at least, ex- uh, or at least expect would return and give thanks. And yet he's the one that did. And then Jesus said, where are the nine? You know, we might ask that question along with what we're talking about now. Were there not a hundred cleansed or saved? Were there not two hundred even in this church or more? But where are the others? And from time to time, we could ask ourselves the question, where are those others that claim to have been delivered and enjoy the blessings that the Lord has given them and the cure and the healing, and yet we show no return and no thanks. You know, you and I, once the Lord has done something for us so great, the Bible says, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? Which at the first began to be spoken in by the Lord was confirmed unto us by them that heard Him. So how shall we escape what? The judgment, chastening, punishment that is due even in this life. He's not talking about in the future. That's Hebrews chapter 2. It says, therefore, listen carefully. Verse 1, Therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. He goes on to say, For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast... 
Now here's the point. And every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward. That was under the law. Then he says, how shall we escape? If they under the law received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect, not reject, but neglect so great salvation, which is the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard Him. God also bearing them witness both with signs and wonders and with diverse miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to His own will. By the way, the gifts of God come from His own will, not yours and mine. If God has given you a gift, He gave it to you. You didn't go and say, I've got it. You reach out and just say, I've got this particular gift. It's because God gave it to you. So, What we're saying, how shall we escape? Are we not responsible when we receive all the great blessings of God that are given to us? So we find that not only was Abraham chosen by grace, and the children of Israel chosen by grace, and the woman of Samaria saved by grace, but this man, when you look at it, it says, verse 5, and a certain man was there, a certain individual that the Lord set his eye upon, And we find constantly people's uh, questions about why did not the Lord heal all of them? Because John is showing us this particular lesson that salvation is by grace. And that it's by Christ coming in at the very beginning and choosing this man and singling him out and saying, Wilt thou be made whole? And he knew that he would be made whole and he knew he wanted to be made whole. And so therefore he chose him to receive His abundant grace. We find that all through the Bible, this particular lesson is taught. Sometimes we fail to look at it. So, tonight, what do we find? Salvation is through the Word. By the way, when we talk about salvation through the Word, in John chapter 2, where the the, uh, uh, water was turned into wine, I forgot to mention when we were studying that passage of scripture, Scripture, that... Uh, it's profoundly significant that the wine is also a symbol of the blood of Christ that shows us that salvation is not only through the Word, but the Word of God concerning Christ's shed blood. And before God can give us the joy of salvation, that's back in John chapter 2, turning water into wine, before God can give us the joy of salvation, the precious blood of His Son had to be poured forth in order that we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins. That's one point I forgot to mention when we were teaching first, uh, the first miracle in John chapter 2. You have the list of them where they're found. We'll take up the fourth one of these miracles Wednesday night at 7 o'clock. So you try to be here. And we'll talk about the feeding of the 5,000. The feeding of the 5,000. And though we're saved by grace we'll see that God does use you and I as instruments and as servants to do His work, to preach His Word, to witness. 